And now I'll introduce our, our guest today. Forty years ago, a famous Canadian Prime Minister once said, and I'll paraphrase, that living next to the U.S. was like sleeping with an elephant. No matter how friendly or even tempered it is, we feel every twitch and grunt that it does. For the last year or two in the business world, those twists and grunts have been felt. The United States and Canada have something that's unparalleled anywhere, the largest bilateral trade relationship in the world. Let me throw out some numbers. In 2006, the last year for which we have statistics, total merchandise trade, both imports and exports, had a value of over 533.7 billion U.S. dollars. One in five jobs in this country is linked to international trade, and the United States is by far our biggest trading partner. As we in Ontario know only too well, automobiles, auto, auto parts make up the largest sector of traded products between the two countries. Canada is also the single largest exporter of energy to the U.S., a relationship that is particularly important for our sister provinces in the West. The United States and Canada also have significant stakes in each other's economy through foreign direct investment. Our common membership in the World Trade Organization and partnerships with Mexico and the North American Free Trade Agreement. All good reasons to pay close attention to what our guest today has to tell us. As Chairman of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Tom Donahue represents some of the biggest richest, most powerful, influential businesses in the world today. The U.S. Chamber is the world's largest business organization with three million business members of every size, sector, and region. Since taking over as CEO 12 years ago, Tom himself has led a movement to recreate the U.S. Chamber. He's advanced its comprehensive competitiveness agenda to help strengthen the U.S. economy. He's launched a number of multi-million dollar initiatives around several items on that agenda, including developing a national energy strategy, strengthening capital markets, and protecting intellectual property. In this age of escalating protectionism, he believes that the way to rebuild the losses we've experienced recently is to look outward and expand beyond America's borders. So, to tell us more about free enterprise and the future of North America, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tom Donahue. Well, thank you very much, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> John, I want to thank you for being such a gracious host. I also appreciate the hard work and hospitality of the club staff in organizing this event. I would like to recognize Bob Bathgate, the president of the AmCham Canada, our valued partner here. And, John, uh, it's always great to see one of the big companies operating in, New York, in the U.S., Purelator USA, um, who's been a great supporter of our efforts in Canada, and thank you both for, for being here. Now, I'm delighted uh, to be at one of the most prestigious and historic speaking forums in North America, and I was particularly delighted this afternoon to sit next to Frank and catch up on all of the adventures that he has going around the world. That was a treat I hadn't planned on. Now, this is uh, the second or third trip to Canada this year. In May, I attended the Pacific Economic Forum in Vancouver, and during that trip, I also came to Toronto to address our friends at the AmCham Canada. Last month, I had the pleasure of meeting with Prime Minister Harper in Washington. We had a very productive and helpful uh, meeting. And this evening, I will go on to Ottawa to honor one of Canada's great business advocates and supporters, 
of the U.S.-Canadian relationship, Tom DeQuino of the Canadian Council of Chief Executives, who is going to retire. And, of course, senior offices of the chamber, uh, and particularly our Energy Institute and others, are making trips to Canada all the time. I recite all of this uh, to underscore what I hope is an obvious point, and that is the U.S. Chamber deeply values its ties with Canada and views the U.S.-Canadian relationship as very special. The need for a strong U.S.-Canada partnership has never been greater. There are no shortage of serious issues and serious challenges, we would all agree, uh, from the global economic recession to pandemics to energy and climate change. These problems transcend borders and require tremendous cooperation among nations. As two of the world's most advanced economies, representing the largest bilateral trading relationship on the planet, we have and bear a special responsibility in meeting those challenges. It is a call to leadership that our two countries have answered throughout our history, and I'm confident that we will do it again and again. In the next few minutes, I'd like to discuss how we can further strengthen the U.S.-Canadian relationship, help turn back the rising tide of protectionism, and preserve and protect the fundamental tenet at the heart of our great economies, the spirit of free enterprise. But first, I have been asked to provide a quick update on what's happening in Washington. I can sum it up in a single word, crazy. <laughs> I say that without any reference to individuals, but particularly to the amount of things that are on the plate, both domestically and globally, all moving at the same time. Our new president is drinking out of a fire hose with the issues he's dealing with on the domestic front and only beginning to get the full scope of the international challenges we all face. He retains a healthy personal popularity, but not so for all of his policies. Parts of his domestic and foreign policy agendas have been frustrated, and to a great degree by something few are talking about, and that is divisions and pressure within his own party. In their frustration, some of the interest groups who have spent so much money electing this Congress and this Senate and this President are trying to find the villains and to point their finger at them. And guess what? Occasionally, we're being pointed at. But we know that uh, what the game is all about. We know how to deal with it. And as I have said on a number of occasions to the many young people that work for us, we've been to this rodeo before. What we're focusing on are the issues. Congress has some really big things on its plate. Health care, energy, climate, financial regulations, infrastructure, and many others. Allow me to give you a sense of that, to just focus on a few of them, and then later I'll take your questions on any. Uh, I either know the answer or I'll hasten to make it up. 
One test for this administration is whether it can usher in real health care reform through the Congress. I applaud the President for taking on this very tough issue. We agree with him on the need for reform, the reform of our system, lowering costs, improving care, and expanding coverage. We agree on health IT, wellness, and prevention, and we very much agree on comparative medicine. In short, we too want a bill. I know many Canadians and Europeans are wondering, what's all the fuss about? Why doesn't the United States enact universal coverage and a single-payer system like other developed countries? The fact is, while our system does need reform, it does a lot of things right. I particularly appreciate the large numbers of Canadians who find their way to the United States for some of their health care. We are home to the finest medical facilities, technology, and human talent. Patients from all over the world come for treatment in our country. No one can be denied health care in America at any hospital emergency room in the country. But we would all agree that's probably not the most efficient way to take care of many health care needs. The health care sector is attracting tens of billions of dollars in capital in the United States and is a massive leader in job creation, something we're all interested in right now. On the other hand, Americans pay too much and don't always get the best results. Costs continue to skyrocket. Our IT systems don't talk to each other, and if they're used by providers at all. There are too many frivolous lawsuits, and consumers don't understand the impact of their health care decisions on its cost. And, of course, we have too many uninsured people. The legislation we've seen so far only addresses the number of uninsured and does nothing to bend the cost curve. They impose unfair burdens on medical providers in the form of huge new taxes and fees. They lead down the path to a government-run system, which today, and we have a very large government-owned system for the elderly, cost shifts about 21, 22 percent into the private sector. Uh, We need legislation that will keep what works and fix what's broken. So how does it all turn out? Who knows? There's still a long way to go. The U.S. Chamber will use every opportunity we have to influence the debate, to get a bill passed that will provide more affordable coverage for more people, to keep costs down, and to preserve the employer's provided system that has worked pretty well in our country for a long time. Quick shift to climate. We're in a similar boat there on climate change. The Chamber and most of the U.S. business community strongly supports comprehensive legislation to reduce emissions of greenhouse gases while providing for a strong American economy. Simply stated, we want to keep people working. We want to negotiate a global accord as well to reduce such emissions that includes all the emitters. Unfortunately, the Congress isn't considering anything remotely like that. The only thing worse than bad legislation from Congress would be a regulation of greenhouse gas emissions by our Environmental Protection Agency, 
under the Clean Air Act. Uh, this leg legislation is unique, or this particular act is uniquely unsuited to achieve such a goal. EPA is busily, however, preparing to proceed down that path. Even the president and his administration find that an unacceptable uh, consequence. Some claim that since we oppose specific bills in Congress, we must be opposed to all efforts to reduce greenhouse gases or that we deny the existence of the problem. They're dead wrong. We believe that in order to succeed, any climate change response must include major CO2-admitting economies. It must promote the development of new technologies. It must emphasize efficiency. And it must ensure affordable energy for families and businesses and help create American jobs. No single piece of legislation offered so far meets most of those criteria. When it is, we will gladly support and endorse it. Conversely, we gave the, the Obama administration and Congress over 80 recommendations on how to increase energy security and grow our economy while simultaneously preserving the environment. The Chamber has strong positions as to what we are for and uh, what we're against on these issues. And we're working very hard to come up with a constructive end game. Now, let me shift for a minute to the U.S.-Canadian partnership. While the United States is facing many difficult challenges, so too is North America and the rest of the world. Because of our unique relationship, our two countries have a special obligation to lead and to lead by example. One area where our leadership is desperately needed is in fighting back the rising tide of protectionism around the globe. I don't need to remind you how important trade and engagement is to our respective economies and our bilateral relationship. As John indicated, we trade about $6 billion in goods um, over the last year alone, and not to mention services, or a staggering $1.5 billion a day. Seven million American jobs depend entirely on trade with Canada and many more in a secondary way. The United States is the largest exporter in the world. Nearly 60 million American workers are employed by companies that benefit from trade, and 95% of the world's customers, I remind the Congress of this all the time, our potential customers, 95% of them live outside the United States. Trade is even more vital to Canada. It is a larger share of your economy than it is of ours. And for both of our countries, increased exports are the best path to economic growth and job creation. What can we do, then, to support greater trade and global engagement? We need to be the world's greatest cheerleaders for worldwide trade. We need to beat back protectionists in all forms. We need to do a better job educating our citizens about the benefits of trade and helping those who are adversely impacted by it. We need to salvage the Doha round with a deal fair to all parties. 
And most of all, we need to lead by example in our own relationship. Now, let me give you two specific examples. I'll start with my own country. The United States must fix the Buy America rule. We must fix it now. The chamber fought tooth and nail to eliminate it entirely from our stimulus bill based on a simple calculation. It's a dumb idea. Why we didn't achieve that totally, we did get it substantially amended to ensure it would not violate our international trade obligations. But that was not enough. The White House Office of Management and Budget has uh, the opportunity to do more to fix it now, to lift the unprecedented burdens of Buy American mandates from the states and the municipalities. That's where the biggest problem lies, and OMB has all the authority it needs to fix it. We're pressing them in every way we can to fix this mess as soon as possible. Likewise, Canada must step up to its responsibilities to better protect intellectual property. As you know, uh, the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative recently added Canada to its special 301 priority watch list reserved for the worst offenders of IP protection. Uh, Your former ambassador to the United States, uh, a good friend, and I worked very hard to try and get something done here so that could be avoided. We share concerns about weak border measures to control the flow of counterfeit and pirated material through Canada. But this is not just a priority trade issue for U.S. industries and the U.S. government. It is a priority for Canadian industry and Canadian workers. They are asking your government to protect their industries and their jobs by enacting long overdue copyright reforms. Lax Canadian laws are also impacting the integrity of the global marketplace for creative content. Canada is seen by some as a private haven, the home of five of the top pirate sites in the world. The weakness of Canada's copyright regime is hurting industries in Canada and the United States and around the world. We stand ready having fixed some of this in our own country, more to do, to assist Canada in fulfilling its commitment to ensure IP is protected and valued in your great nation. Now, having said all of that, I must admit I'm disappointed in my own government, my own government's leadership on trade. We have let three excellent trade agreements with Korea, Colombia, and Panama languish in Congress. Meanwhile, Canada is not sitting on the sidelines. You're eating our lunch. Canada has recently concluded agreements with Colombia and Panama, and you're negotiating with Korea and the EU. In contrast, we have slapped tariffs on imported Chinese tires. We are not making a successful conclusion of the Doha round a priority of yet. And last month, the chamber launched a major initiative to turn this around to win the public debate on trade and rejected isolationist and protectionist policies. So I went out to Michigan. Um, 
great place to do this, to the Michigan Chamber, and I called for a national goal of doubling U.S. exports in five years. How can we achieve that? Was it ever done before? Of course. We need to quit dwaddling on passing these pending free trade agreements. We need to revitalize the Doha round. We need to give a helping hand to hundreds of thousands of small businesses looking to sell their goods overseas. And we need to get this administration off the dime on trade. The president has been promising a new framework for trade for months. He's been busy, but we're still waiting. He has said good things. He has named a very good man to head the U.S. Trade Office. And he has taken on complex issues with gusto. Trade just isn't one of the ones that he's got going yet. Why? Many people say it's because of political pressure and payback to key supporters. I hope not. Too much is at stake. President Clinton showed it was possible to be a politically successful Democratic president and pro-trade. That's why we have NAFTA. It took courage, and it paid off for the country, for the American people, the Canadian people, the Mexican people, and for our economies. President Obama, I believe, should follow this course, and we're going to try and help him in every way we can. Another area where our leadership is needed is in securing abundant, affordable, diverse, and clean sources of energy vital to our economies and to our way of life. As you know, the United States imports more oil and gas from Canada than any other country. And about half of the Canadian crude oil brought into America is derived from oil sands. Our countries have a shared stake in encouraging the future development of oil stands. One recent study found such development would create around 350,000 new U.S. jobs between 2011 and 2015. Another study says maximizing development could potentially double the amount of oil America could import from Canada by 2035. At the same time, strides are being made every day in making the extraction process cleaner and more economically and economically, environmentally friendly. America needs the oil to fuel a growing economy. It makes abundant sense that we buy that oil from our neighbors and friends instead of shipping hundreds of billions of dollars to foreign governments who may not have the same regard for our views as does Canada. Oil sands developments is a win-win for our two countries, and we're working diligently to make the members of our Congress understand this and many other environmental facts of life. We also need to work together to improve cross-border operations. Both our countries are concerned about the thickening of the border. We need to aggressively implement the recommendations in a report from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Canadian Chamber titled Finding the Balance, Shared Border of the Future. These recommendations will improve border operations without compromising security. Now, this is especially important in light of the 2010 Winter Olympic Games in Vancouver. I suspect no one would faint from shock if I suggested that our relationship hit some bumps once in a while. 
I, I tell every new Canadian ambassador of the United States, the reason we treat you so badly from time to time is your family, and that's the way we treat families. We'd never treat friends that way. <clears throat> I get the same thing from the new ambassadors in return. So as we look at uh, softwood lumber to country of origin labeling to procurement practices, we don't always see eye to eye, do we? And that's okay. It's a testament to the strong ties of friendship between Canadians and Americans that we can speak plainly to each other. But as far as I'm concerned, those challenging episodes are all in the family because Canadians and Americans have demonstrated the value of family. They will not stop the journey that we're making together to forge a truly integrated North American economy that lifts all of our citizens to new levels of opportunity and progress. And in that vein, we must not forget the critical stake both of our countries have in the success and the health of our shared neighbor, Mexico, as Mexico goes through um, some very challenging times. Let me end by telling you about something we have recently begun, and that is we believe there's an absolutely critical step that we must take together, defending, protecting, explaining, and advancing the free enterprise system in your country and ours. It's time to remind, to educate, and persuade in America our fellow citizens and our leaders that the free enterprise values of individual initiative, hard work, freedom of choice, and the free exchange of trade, capital, and ideas underpin the very success of our economies and are absolutely key to our future. In America, we will need to create 20 million new jobs in the next decade to put the 7 million unemployed people back to work and to provide work to those coming into the workforce. Canada faces a similar challenge with different numbers. Who is going to create and sustain these jobs? Our governments, our politicians, our unions, our lawyers? No, I don't think so. Only a strong private sector powered by free enterprise can do it. In both our countries, we must create a political imperative where any time an elected official makes a decision or casts a vote, he or she should stop for a moment to weigh its impact on the economic system so vital to our long-term prosperity. That's why last month the Chamber launched one of the biggest initiatives in its nearly 100-year history, the American Free Enterprise Dream Big campaign. The campaign is positive, it's historic, and it's the cornerstone of everything we do and stand for. It is a fundamental statement of who we are and what we believe. Why now? People ask me all the time, why now? Clearly, we are deeply concerned by the growing involvement of government in the private sector with no exit plan. Listen, it was important for the government here and in the United States and elsewhere around the world to engage our, themselves with the private sector to avoid a Great Depression around the globe. It is now time to figure out what the exit strategy is. We believe debt 
deficits, taxes, spending, and regulations could all get out of line if we fail to do that. We see numerous attempts to deny all risk in enterprise and capital markets. Free enterprise is not a perfect system, just the best one ever designed. It has helped lift millions out of poverty all around the globe and holds the key to our future prosperity. It's worth keeping. It's worth fighting for in America and in Canada. It deserves our greatest passion, our highest level of commitment, and all of the energy we can muster. So we invite you to spread the word. We're the biggest trading partners in the globe. And we invite you to help us promote a cause that is our highest calling, free enterprise and free trade. And we thank you very much for the opportunity to be here today.